It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is a podcast where I do my best, along with my team of crack contributors, to update you on the week. If you haven't been paying attention, if you just needed to check out, maybe for your mental health, I would understand it, to be honest. Um, But one way or the other, by the end of this episode, you will be much more up to date on what's been going on in the world. We start with the news section, if you're listening for the first time. Then in the middle, we have a chat with someone who's relevant to what's going on in the world. And then in the final section, you will hear us talk celebs showbiz entertainment culture all that crack um so thank you for joining me if you're coming back thank you very much for coming back thank you to all of you who sent me your spotify wrapped um and uh showing me your loyal listenership to the podcast honestly can't tell you what a thrill it is to see my podcast up there um in your top fives and i really appreciate you guys continuing to listen um as i said a couple of weeks ago i was going through a bit of a rough patch and it I've turned around and honestly it's because of you guys so many of you got in touch so many of you signed up to Patreon which I really appreciate it's such a solid sign of support and encouragement and I just love you so much thank you um in other news the show that I'm doing on St. Bridget's Day in the Everyman Theatre in Cork has been officially announced I kind of thought it had already been announced, so you may you may have heard me mention it previously, but we'll just pretend like that never happened. Um, it, it, I think the tickets were on sale, but it hadn't been officially announced. Anyway, look, it doesn't matter. The tickets are available now. It is on Thursday, the 1st of February. I promise you, I will give you a good night. And what better way to celebrate St. Bridget's Day than to gather with mostly women. There are men. And, and even straight men sometimes, um, but together with a load of women and uh, to celebrate together. I really, really hope that you will come and join me if you are in or near Cork. I'm so looking forward to getting back. I love Cork. And I've heard from lots of you about other shows around the country. Um, we're working on it. There are going to be other shows next year. Um, but for now, that's the one. So please do get your tickets. There's the link in the show notes. 
Now, um, I actually was planning this week on taking a week off, um, which is why you're getting this episode a little bit early. I'm headed off to Other Voices in the morning. It's 20 to 11 on Wednesday night. Um, and I just thought maybe I would give myself an easy life for once and I was going to play you the conversation that I had with Anna Nolan during the live show that happened in Limerick. But then what happened last Thursday happened and I just felt like I had to do an episode this week. Um, I think it's really important that we digest and talk about what happened on Thursday, that we really face up to it and try and explore what is going on in our country and in our society that we are in a situation where a riot like the one that took place last Thursday takes place. Um, And so that's kind of what I've tried to do with this episode. Not the celebs, obviously. Don't worry, you've got your little bit of sugar at the end, a little bit of light relief. Um, But myself and Carl get into what happened and the fallout and the conversations subsequently. We also touch on the other big news stories of the week. And the interview uh, this week is with Spice Bag, the artist. Um, If you're not familiar with his work, he's a very, very smart guy. He wrote a brilliant piece in the Irish Times over the weekend about the context, really, of why it is that so many people decided to go out and trash Dublin last Thursday. Um, and I think it was a useful conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy the celebs at the end. But sure, look, I'll talk to you in a few minutes. But first, let's talk to Carl Kinsella, columnist with thejournal.ie. Carl Kinsella, are you speaking to me from your new abode? I am, my new home. Um, I can't believe that I finally, I can't remember where I left it exactly last week. Last week you had, you were like, I have the keys, keys. (laughs) but I'm, but I'm still not a hundred percent sure. And I was like, I'm pretty sure if you have the key, like it's happening. Well, I've, I've been here a week now and even now I'm, I still don't feel 100% sure. I feel like I could be turfed out at any minute or evicted, but I think that's just, you know, that's the precarious millennial mindset in my head and are you Um, you're living you're living with other people are you yeah living with two other guys um like you know i don't know them but you know i'll get to know them over the course of the least i'm sure how's that going i always find that kind of weird um it's fine so far i don't see too much of them thankfully my room is quite big uh so i've just kind of i'm just sort of treating my bedroom as a little studio to be honest yeah that's what i Um, like i don't need to be interacting with people in my home yeah Yeah, i'm a i'm a recluse like when i live with strangers i definitely just but to be fair even when i live with friends i enjoy just spending time alone i love spending time in my room same and i always feel like that was kind of a problem (laughs) (laughs) but like when i'm at home i want to be like you know on my own it's so weird that my children won't let me do that like (laughs) (laughs) yeah those selfish children (laughs) I know um okay we are laughing but boy do we have a doozy um I actually wasn't going to I hadn't said this to you Carl I wasn't planning on doing an episode this week because I'm going to other voices tomorrow and I was gonna put out um a live show recording instead but because of what happened last week I felt like it was actually really important that we do this this week um and I suppose before we start it's worth noting that when we spoke last week the stabbing incident on Parnell Square had just happened we knew just very little about it we we there were rumors uh, that it was children but very little had actually been confirmed um and we had no idea what was going to happen that day I mean it's mad to think about isn't it yeah it really is so I think when we had spoke last week it had literally just taken place maybe 30 or 45 minutes beforehand mm. so yeah none of the details were clear all we had were like very vague rumors 
Yeah. Um, but actually, at that yeah. stage already, I had seen people speculating about the attacker's nationality. I had already seen people kind of suggesting that it might have been someone who wasn't originally Irish and that, you know, I could see, you could see that there was like an, uh, like, a, I don't want to say hope, but like a kind of almost excitement about the prospect that this person, you know, might be a target for people who are anti-immigration. Yeah, and this is something I think we've seen like kind of internationally whenever there are sort of random seeming attacks. Mm. Uh, there's always, you know, quite large corners of commentators online who seem to immediately start speculating as to the nationality. Mm. I think you're right. I think even within the very short space of time that had elapsed last week, I think we were already seeing tweets like that. Yeah. And of course, it was tweets like that and the sort of the rumor mill and um, just the sort of general lack of information that was put out uh, that I think kind of led to the rioting. You know, I think just people were whipped up into a frenzy. Mm. Um, I think that there were, you know, just that there are these commentators right now who make a lot of hay on social media, whether it's Twitter or Telegram, just by pumping uh, sort of rumors out there. Of course, you know, at this stage, security sources have confirmed that the man who is the suspect he hasn't been charged but a person of interest i suppose we call him because he hasn't been charged um he's still under care at hospital he is an algerian man but he is he is a naturalized irish citizen mm. he's been an irish citizen for 20 years um so it's sort of a it's a it's it's a weird feeling i i don't know what 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 is the mood like in dublin over the last couple of days louise um I mean, it's been, it's been bad. Like, it's been heavy. Um, I think people are, a lot of people are really shook. I think a lot of people didn't see this coming. I think if you're not kind of plugged in, it would be, you know, easy to think that we were different from other other countries um, and that, you know, we don't have a massive right-wing political party in the way that some European countries do. And, you know, it would be easy to kind of lull yourself into a false sense of security in terms of um, racist, xenophobic, anti-immigration, you know, those kind of attitudes. But I think, unfortunately, if you're someone who is kind of on the internet in any big capacity or you look at this stuff, I think for for us, it, this didn't feel um, unavoidable or this didn't feel avoidable. This didn't feel like a shock um, or a surprise, um, even though it was deeply upsetting. Um, you know, I have heard countless stories now over the last week of people who are afraid, afraid to go to work and um, people who are visibly, um, you know, I was going to say visibly not Irish, but that's not true because there are lots of people who are have different ethnicities who are Irish, but people who look like they might be an immigrant, basically being afraid or who sound like it, afraid to get the bus, afraid to go to the shop, afraid to go to work and um, afraid for their kids to walk to school on their own. I mean, that's it's very dark. And I think that's why a lot of the focus has kind of has been on how society in Ireland has been allowed to deteriorate to this point mm. where there is such a lack of trust between groups where there is a really burgeoning far right movement. I think a lot of people put the blame on the door of Garda Commissioner Drew Harris, mm. 
I mean, for the last year, like we talk about, say, in the last week, people of maybe immigrant backgrounds feeling threatened. But for the last year, there have been threats against asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. There have been threats against trans people in the sense of you have similar groups turning up to libraries and taking out books and harassing librarians. So we do have at this point a very emerging far right in Mm -hmm. Ireland, which is very concerning. And explicitly, the tack that the Gardaí have taken with them has been non-confrontation. They've been very open about this. Mm -hmm. They just they they believe Drew Harris has said that he believes that confronting the far right uh, in any meaningful way would be playing into their trap. Um, I think he's now found out that he is very much at the bottom of whatever trap he thought he was Mm -hmm. escaping because we are now in a position where for a whole night or for you know five or six hours kind of control of certain parts of Dublin was no longer in the hands of Gardaí at all Mm. it was entirely in the hands of groups who were agitated by far-right agitators online and who were prepared to burn out police cars who were prepared to attack police destroy public transport infrastructure loot you know just cause mayhem which is a really and it's, it's interesting a lot of people have pointed out that maybe not all of the rioters were far right that's probably true because mm-hmm. you're going to have people who are opportunistic mm-hmm. you're going to have people who are just in the area and who you know these things do tend to snowball mm. but we do know that the origins of this uh, sort of kickoff or riot um the origins came from sort of the far right mm. um they encouraged people to be out there i mean there's no need to really name names, but it's easy to go on Twitter and see mm-hmm. who the people are who are encouraging people to get out there and mm. using phrases like we're at war mm-hmm. and to evaporate buildings that are um, designated for asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not to a, mention part- the the voice note that went viral. Where yeah, someone really was, disturbing stuff. Like, you know, it's really awful. And to pretend like, you know, the events of Thursday night weren't you know, rooted in the far right or rooted in kind of xenophobia or anti-immigration attitudes is is foolish, in my opinion, because, you know, we can't pretend like these attitudes aren't there. Um, and later in the podcast, you'll hear a discussion I had this week with um, Spice Bag, the artist who wrote a really good piece for the Irish Times over the weekend about you know, we really have to fit, look at this stuff face on and really have a conversation about where this is coming from and why people are susceptible to these kind of spin, this kind of spin that the far right are so good at, at convincing people that this person is to blame. This person is to blame for everything that's going wrong in your life. That's this person. It's these people because they're coming into this country, which we all know is not true and not the case. Um, But they're so good at, at convincing people that it is. And people who are disenfranchised and unhappy and feel like they've been left behind by the government are now being told to blame immigrants rather than the government. Um, And, you know, we, we have to face it and, and be very real about it. We can't pretend like it's not there anymore. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it was horrible. Like, we don't need to go into the details, I don't think. I think everybody knows what happened on Thursday night. Everybody knows that there were riots. Everybody knows that there were Gardaí attacked on the streets. Everybody knows that there was looting, that there was a bus set on fire, that there was a Lewis set on fire. It was, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I really haven't. It was very scary. It was a very scary thing. Like, in my house, as I was putting my kids to bed, I could hear sirens and hell helicopters outside um, I live not far from the city centre I live on the north side I live in you know I live near Fibs where I feel like everybody knows that um, like I'm in two boys brew too much for anybody to not know um, <laughs> and it uh, you know I 
I, I did feel a little bit scared. Like, I'm not going to say I didn't. Yeah, I'm not surprised because ultimately something like this, it totally undermines the trust we have in the safety infrastructure and the safety apparatus of the state. Mm. If you have a situation where for five or six hours, parts of Dublin are totally lawless, then it's going to give people to wonder when this when the next riot is going to happen or when the next event is going to happen Absolutely. that's going to render the Gardaí totally inert, yeah. um, which is just... That's terrifying for yeah. people. You know, people need to believe that they are safe. And I think mm-hmm. right now in Dublin, you'd be forgiven for at least asking the question as are to we? what is be- yeah, what is being done yeah. at a sort of strategy level, a long term strategy level. Mm. What is being done to manage the far right, mm. to curtail their influence and to. I mean, because like you say, this goes way deeper than policing. Mm. The communities that are apt to be whipped up by the far right, Mm. you know, these kind of vacuums where the government has allowed uh, social programs and social welfare to sort of fall flat and the cost of living crisis has just decimated people. Mm. Um, You know, like these places need actual help and they Mm. need actual investment. Yeah. And unless that's happening then you're going to have, I mean, like, you know, country after country shows that if you have things like poverty, if you have things like disaffectation, um, that's when the far right is going to come in and, and yeah. sort of do its work. Yeah. Um, so unless we're prepared to, as Spice Bag said in, yeah, it was a really good article, um, unless we're prepared to look at it head on, then... Mm you know yeah. yeah we're we're in we're in trouble going yeah. forward so just in terms of you know a few things to cover here news wise and um, first of all just to say that unfortunately the five-year-old girl who was critically injured in the stabbing on thursday is still seriously ill she's still in a very serious condition as is the carer who was stabbed multiple times during the attack as well she's also still in a very serious condition in hospital um and the suspect uh, the only suspect in the case who we've t- talked about here is also still in hospital um and is being treated for serious head injuries um so there's no update there really all we can do is just hope for obviously full recovery for that lovely carer and that five-year-old girl Oh, let's, yeah. Fortunately, a six-year-old girl who was injured in the attack has been released from hospital and a five-year-old boy also released. So we just have to keep all of our fingers crossed um, for them. In terms of the fallout, there has been, there are ongoing conversations about uh, confidence in Helen McEntee as the Justice Minister and Drew Harris as the, um, what's his Guard Commissioner. Guard Commissioner. Sorry, my brain just completely went blank there. I was like, head of the Guardi? No, that's not correct. Guard Commissioner. Um, so where do they stand at the moment? Yeah, so uh, as it stands with Helen McEntee, there has been no motion of, there, there could be a vote of no confidence. That's the kind of thing that's being thrown around. I think Sinn Féin have suggested or hinted that they might call such a vote because they have they have called on Helen McEntee to step down. They've called on Garden Commissioner Drew Harris to step down. Mm-hmm. So it's all kind of comes down to now whether or not they try to formalize that process. That's always a challenge because, you know, as is the nature of things, the government has a majority in the doll air in, in the doll. So I mean, if they call for a vote of no confidence, the likelihood is that Helen McEntee would survive it. They yeah. would need people from the Greens or, you know, they would need a lot of defectors, which mm-hmm. I don't think the appetite is really there for that. Michal Martin who is from Fianna Fáil, like Helen McEntee is Fianna Gael. Michal Martin is from Fianna Fáil. He said that him and his party are going to stand behind Helen McEntee. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there were a few senators from Fianna Fáil who have called on Helen McEntee to resign. And I suppose when you're talking about her resigning, it is hard to overstate. I mean, we are talking about the first riots in Dublin in like 17 years. The last time there were riots were the Love Ulster riots, mm. which I, you know, I was a, I was a child. But as far as I remember, they weren't as significant as the damage done uh, by these riots. No, I think, it, it. you know, there are huge questions to be asked about the level of planning you know the level of strategy and preparedness that mm. are that are involved so like these are interesting calls for sure for mm. Helen McEntee and for Commissioner Drew Harris. Commissioner Drew Harris is uh, is sort of a, almost a separate case he has already earlier in the year. Yeah he's not having he's, a great um, run. No about six weeks ago two months ago he already faced uh, and lost overwhelmingly lost a vote of no confidence from a Garda representative body um, so there's that was ultimately put to one side because he agreed to sort of that was all about the rosters mm. the dispute with the rosters so that got put to one side after he made certain concessions with the rosters but he's certainly not the most popular figure among regular guardy and I think that's only been sort of uh, exacerbated by mm. this because you've seen on TV a lot of guardy have come on they talked about they feel they weren't prepared for this mm. there was a lot of self organizing just group mm. chats between guardy showing mm. up to the scene of the riots so i think there are like again huge questions to be asked about organizational um sort of preparedness within the guardi so right now both of those people are still in situ in their, their positions i think if you were to ask me the likelihood of like changes there i would imagine helen mcintee will probably not lose her job yeah. but i i think guard commissioner harris might eventually he might end, end up just sort of stepping down because yeah pressure on him over the last few months it doesn't really seem like anybody's happy yeah. that is in it's in not role. going well you no know what it I doesn't mean? feel like the public are happy the guards aren't happy no it just you'd wonder really how sustainable it is why would you want to stay like if everybody's <laughs> yeah, saying yeah. they don't want you there why would you stay like it's like if you're at a party and nobody likes you like what's the point <laughs> um okay so we'll park that um you know obviously it's a really difficult thing and it's not something that has been solved. You know, unfortunately, we are really going to have to do some work here. Um, and we will, of course, continue to talk about it here on the podcast. Now, for the first time in weeks, Gaza is the second story on our list. Um, that is, I suppose, an indication of just how serious the events in Dublin were uh, over the last week. Um, there is good news here, uh, which, thank God, I'm so glad I get to say that. Um, because Emily Hand, the Irish uh daughter of an Irish man <laughs> uh, was released and also the ceasefire has been extended yes so I guess we'll start with Emily Hand Emily Hand I think on Sunday night mm -hmm. um, she was released as part of the uh, I think she was in the second tranche of hostages released by Hamas mm -hmm. obviously she has been um, a captive of Hamas since October 7th when sort of all this violence escalated to the the level we've kind of been speaking about for the last two months mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, she has been released to her family in Israel. She's safe. The reports kind of said, I saw an interview with her father where he was saying that after she was released, she was unable to speak in above a whisper. She could only whisper. Mm. That's kind of a trauma response to the obviously the, the horror of the last 50 days. Mm. Um, and the phrase he used was, my Emily is coming home at last, broken, but in one piece. So I mm. suppose the sort of the solace that we're taking from a statement like that is that Emily Hand, uh, she is unharmed or unharmed in physically, the sort of yeah. physically traditional sense you know mm. no broken bones no injuries um obviously the trauma that she and her family will be managing is just is just unbelievable mm. um they're planning to have a birthday party for her she she spent her ninth birthday uh, in captivity um 
but yeah, so she she is the the Irish hostage who who has been released mm. uh, by Hamas, and yeah, I think there is quite a lot of there is a lot of good feeling about that. Uh, I suppose I'm sure you saw Louise, you know, Leo Varadkar commented on it. Yeah, he, he he used a phrase. The phrase he used was that a, a girl referring to Emily Hand. He said a girl was lost and has now been found. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't go down well. Which, no, it didn't go down well. So the Irish uh, Irish ambassador to Israel, Sonia McGuinness, has been called before the Israeli embassy in Jerusalem to be censured for these remarks. So they're really not happy at the use of lost and found. In case you can't work out, uh, if you're listening at home, you can't work out why that's bad. They wanted a specific acknowledgement that Hamas had captured Emily Hand. It's not that she was lost, it's that she was captured. But if if you actually look at Leo Varadkar's full statement, it, it does contain that mm. language. You know, he refers to her being taken as a captive, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So they're really just responding to one tweet that was just a clip of the full statement. Mm-hmm. And for that, they're prepared to pull our, you know, kind of waste everybody's time and yeah. pull a diplomat in just to be yelled at. Yet another example of Israel's reasonable behavior. Yeah. Oh, that's um, sarcasm, by the way. Sometimes <laughs> I actually have to qualify these things. Um. Yeah. So that was a a real kerfuffle. Um. And it has to be said that fortunately, lots of other hostages have been released on both sides. Um. And it has to be said, lots of Palestinian people returning, uh, who are not physically unharmed. Yeah, that has been seen. There's we've seen the videos online of because the thing is that because there is so much focus on the the hostages that were taken by Hamas which obviously makes sense that's a very significant story it's a huge yeah and all taken problem. at once on one day it was yeah, massive yeah. Yeah. yeah um there's also questions over the practices of Israel in terms of the what they call prisoners mm. that they had taken and released but a lot of these prisoners are interned there's been no trial there's been no specific charge they're just people who are being stripped of legal due process and being kind of put in cells. So and often I children. That, yeah, and often children. Um, and I think those are obviously uh, those are hostages by another name, really, yeah. is, is what's happening there. And in the so Israel has been briefing certain news outlets and in some of the briefing documents that they've provided, they've said that, you know, oh, here are the list of the terrorists we've released since mm. the ceasefire. But there's no suggestion that these people are terrorists no. because they haven't been tried they haven't there's been no legal process whatsoever yeah. as you say lots of them are under the age of 18 so you know and as you say a lot of them have not come out unharmed they have mm. come out visibly injured um and i think yeah that it's just another sort of very unpleasant twist in this yeah. tale um, and the thing is like if you are someone who was interested in or following kind of events in Gaza and in Palestine prior to the recent kind of incidents, you will be familiar with the stories that Palestinians have been telling for years of, you know, IDF soldiers turning up to their homes in the middle of the night and taking away whoever, uh, often young boys, who sometimes the reason that they're being taken is because they threw a stone at an IDF person or, you know, really minor things. Um, But because of the setup you know, between, because of the occupation, basically, they they kind of operate under military law. And so there doesn't need to be kind of any, like, investigation or real charges. It's, yeah, it's it's very upsetting. It's not a new thing, um, but it is good that this is being highlighted now. And it is, of course, good that so many people are being allowed to return home to their families on both sides. 
Um, okay, so they have extended the ceasefire as we record this on Wednesday morning, which is excellent as well. Um, and, you know, hopefully that will be extended. I mean, obviously what we really want is, is peace, but, you know, and a ceasefire isn't really enough. But it's, I think, all we can hope for at the moment. Um, just to touch on, there was a shooting in America. Three Palestinians were shot in Vermont, um, which obviously, you, you know, it feels safe to assume that it's linked to events in Gaza. Yeah, this is, you know, a terribly sad story. So in, in this case, it's three young students in the state of Vermont. They're Palestinian Americans. They were shot at by a white man who just started, he was sitting on his porch or sitting inside his living room. He saw them walk past his porch, um, not walk past in the sense of coming up to it or anything. They were just walking along the street mm. um, and he went to his porch with his gun and he shot all three of them. Um, two of them are well, one has already been discharged from hospital. None of them are dead. Mm. Um, although one is in critical condition or very serious condition. The other has been treated for serious injuries, but it uh, is okay. Um, Two of so them were is, wearing kefias, which is the... They were wearing kefias, yeah. Which I, yeah. yeah, so I guess, you know, this is... It's kind of interesting because the actual state attorney who's prosecuting it has said that so far they don't have evidence to sort of elevate it to a hate crime. They haven't charged it with a hate crime which I mean, would that would suggest that they're not taking into account things like the fact that the victims were wearing kefias. Mm. Um, I suppose you never know. They could find more evidence that could elevate it to that level. Mm. Um, I think most people watching, you know, would look at the sort of the raw details and think that seems like a, a pretty, you know, given the context of the conflict in, mm. in Israel and Palestine, that if you have a, a white American who shoots three Palestinians, that there's some kind of political motive there. Yeah. Um, well, in fairness but, to her, she did say, she said that there wasn't yet sufficient evidence to support a hate crime enhancement of the charges against him. So that seems like a legal thing. But she did then say, but I do want to be clear, there is no question this was a hateful act. So there is an acknowledgement, at least, that like, you know, the motivation here was... I think linked. so. I think that, yeah, that's surely yeah, some way of kind of speaking to the motive. Um, but yeah, as you say, there were in kefirs. So like, I think a lot of people will will worry. And I think rightly so, like Joe Biden, you know, if you just have three random people shot, you don't generally get the, the president weighing in. But, mm. you know, Joe Biden has weighed in on this incident. Um, so you can kind of, it, to me, it speaks to the sort of tension that exists probably across the United States right yeah. now. And as you say, it sort of kind of harkens back to the Dublin riots as well. Just the lack of safety that will be being felt by yeah. people of colour and people from migrant backgrounds. I would say increased like, lack of yeah. safety because I'm sure there was already a, a yes. question mark yeah, over yeah. their sense of safety previously. Yeah. yeah, just an increase in the sort of precariousness and fear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's another example of that. And it's, mm. it's something that, I mean, I think it's something that's not just relevant in america it's something no. that needs to be sort of eyes need to be kept open about this kind of behavior and, yeah. and aggression across the world yeah so look uh it's all pretty bleak and there is no denying that and so because it is so bleak i really wanted to find some stories that were not so bleak for us to just quickly finish on um and the first being this is mad 41 workers in india who were trapped in a collapsed tunnel have been rescued and they're all fine yeah, isn't that great news? And yeah. I hadn't heard of this story at all until they were rescued, which mm. I mean, I think that makes perfect sense given how much is going on yeah. in the world right now. But it kind of, it's crazy because it took me back, if you remember like the Chilean miners yeah. incident in like 2010. And how massive that, that was. That was massive. That was that was top of the news every single day. There was like yeah. live footage of them being pulled out. And I think it goes to show how dark things are right now that a good story like this gets bumped down mm. and we don't have like... But in any case, 41 construction workers 
in a collapsed mountain tunnel, which is, yeah, again, this is kind of reminds me when we talk about bed bugs. This is another one of my absolute worst fears. It is getting like trapped in like a cave in. These oh, are so God. specific. I, you, <laughs> so yeah, specific you, again, fears you, you have. You're thinking about it is making you, giving me like vertigo. But they... <laughs> But they were they were rescued. Because uh, the, they were trapped for two weeks. Yeah, they were trapped for two weeks. I don't know. I don't like they I think I don't know how they managed to like get food down to them or anything. But mm. like they were all they were like in very good spirits when they were released. Like I saw a really good quote from one of the guys who was uh, who was uh who escaped he said oh no this is from the brother of a guy who, who was managed to be released he said even nature looks cheerful today i thought mm, that was nice it is um, yeah it says they were provided with food water and oxygen through pipes uh, so they emerged healthy and um they were extracted one by one on a wheeled stretcher that was pulled through a roughly meter wide tunnel of welded pipes that crews had pushed through the collapsed dirt and rocks that's from the journals reporting on it wow like what a tale and again, this is one that we're, we're definitely going to get a movie of this at some point, yeah. which would be nice. Like, who doesn't love a good, you know, underground escape movie? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then finally, Katie Taylor uh, won a big boxing match. <laughs> yes, very big. So Katie Taylor is now. Sorry, the- I'm the- laughing at my ignorance, not <laughs> not her. Uh, I know so little about boxing, uh, but I know this was a big deal. Yes, Katie Taylor, she she beat Chant- Chantel Cameron, um, who is a British boxer. And it, the reason it was such a big deal is because it allowed Katie to become the... Well, she won. She won by decision. Um, it was kind of a weird decision. So a decision is when, is when it comes down to the three judges. So instead of having a knockout or a technical mm. knockout, you the, the three judges decide. One judge gave it as a tie, while another judge gave it as 98 to 92, which would be like an overwhelming win for Katie. Mm. So it kind of goes to show the weird like subjectivity of boxing, or it's mm. the kind of thing that might also call to mind like corruption for some people that you could have anyone scoring that fight a draw. Mm. Um, because these are things that happen in boxing a lot of the time, um, kind of suspicious scorings. Um, but yeah, Katie definitely, she, you know, she won, it was a challenging fight, but she, she won, I think without too much debate, mm. um, from your average punter. But so, yeah, now she's the undisputed champion of the welterweight division and the lightweight division. Um, undisputed means that she holds the belt from all the four boxing, uh, kind of sanctioning bodies, you know, like in fo- football, they just have FIFA, whereas, uh, yeah. In boxing, they have a bunch of sanctioning bodies and a bunch of different belts. And mm. Katie now has all the belts. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, Katie. You go, Glenn Coco. Um, she, I mean, it is very, I mean, it would be impressive no matter what, but she's 37. Like, to still yeah. be doing this well at 37 just goes to show you that, like, there are no limits now. Well, there are some limits. But, like, you know, really people are are able to push their body and and do so much you know, For well sure. into their years on this planet. Um, and some of the limitations I think that we put on ourselves are are ill-judged. For sure. And in Katie's case, like, I think it's possible that she, it's only going to go from strength to strength from here because, like, this was her second, um, this was her second fight against Chantel Cameron. Chantel Cameron won the first one. Yeah. Um, so in, in boxing now or in fighting, there's kind of a, a big appeal behind trilogies. So mm. people want to see the third one. And people are hoping that the third one would take place at Croke Park 
Now, if Katie Taylor were to fight and sell out Croke fight at and sell out Croke Park, that would easily be the biggest fight of her career. It'd be the biggest fight of nearly anybody's career, um, such as the size size of Croke Park. So it would just be a huge thing. And as you say, she's 37, so she could be 38, 39 going into that Croke Park fight. But there's a lot of hype around it. It's something that I think people really want to see. Yeah. So hopefully we get that rematch. Um, Do you know anything about how the money works? <laughs> like, yeah, does she you, make like, loads of, of money? How much money she, yeah. So presumably so for something like croke park you know she would definitely get a percentage of the, the tickets gate. okay um, yeah the tickets and there would also probably be a pay-per-view mm-hmm. there's a huge money in pay-per-views these days for people like watch on tnt sports or whatever and then you would also get a percentage of that and and the um, people who fight would would get some of that not necessarily all of them. It's the big draws. So okay. I think this is back in the day when Conor McGregor, who mm. obviously is a kind of Boo. famous for other things. Yeah, famous for other things these days. Um, Conor McGregor, um, like how he sort of amassed his fortune was by really getting into like making sure he had a solid percentage of the pay-per-view sales. Mm. So someone like Katie Taylor would be able to capitalize on that, I would mm. think. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know how much it would be, but certainly if you're looking at, you know, Croke Park, 80,000 times you know 60 euro per ticket mm. you're looking at just enormous money yeah um, so even if, if Katie were to get a percentage of it she'd be doing very well well yeah I'm ju- I, the, the whole reason that I asked is because I was just thinking would you not want to just have a lie down you know what I mean <laughs> at this stage in the day like and I was thinking I hope she's made enough money that when she does decide she wants to just have a lie down she can do it because mm. she deserves she just loves it. to punch people she just loves <laughs> the punching you know, you can't, you can't <laughs> argue with that. She loves to well, she's so good at it. She's so she's good so at good. it. If I was Katie Taylor, I'd be decking the head off everyone as well. Oh man. I, I just once I'd kind of like to deck the head off someone. I've never done it. Have you ever done it? Um, Back when I used to play soccer, when I was a teenager, I got into like a small handful of scraps. I, I don't think I've ever landed a clean punch on someone. Um, <gasps> I've been punched in the face twice. Have you? So, yeah, and it's not as bad as, as you actually might think it is. It's it's, it's tolerable. What? I'm glad it's happened to me. You know, I feel like it's Who punched character you? forming. Oh, again, this was football disputes. Football disputes. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Fair enough. Like, there, was, there was one guy who was actually a headbutt, wow. but he was kind of threatening me and he walked away. So I grabbed his shoulder and I was like, what are you going to do about it? And that was a mistake. That was a huge mistake. <laughs> because, because he showed you what out, he was going to do about it. <laughs> yeah, not everybody is there to have their bluff called. Some people are <laughs> And I was just like, this guy won't hurt me. Look <laughs> at me. I'm a lovable little scamp. <laughs> apparently that doesn't that doesn't fly in <laughs> underage football. Well, fortunately, I have never been punched in the face and I have never punched anyone in the face. And I have long made. Continue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. OK, well, Carl Kinsella, thank you so much. You can read Carl's column, re- Surreeling in the Years, excuse me, on thejournal.ie every weekend. Um, anything else you want? Are you, you want to drive more traffic to your Instagram so people can see your lovely face? I might mention the Instagram again. I got even more Instagram followers this week. Uh, follow me on Instagram, <laughs> carl.kinsella, carl of the sea. Um, or you can get me on Twitter at TV's Carl Kinsella. Or if you have Blue Sky, you can also get me on Blue Sky. I don't know what my Blue Sky name is. I have um, to get on Blue Sky. I really need to get out of Twitter. It is so grim. Yeah, I can, I can send you a Blue Sky code, I think. So Thank you. Please do. I would, re- I would appreciate that. Okay. Thank you so much, Carl. Thank you. 
Adam Doyle is an artist better known as Spice Bag. You may be familiar with his eviction print, uh, which was reissued following the lifting of the eviction ban in March of this year and then went viral and he ended up on The Tonight Show on Virgin Television and it was a whole thing. Um, You may remember that. If not, you may have read his piece in the Irish Times over the weekend about what happened last Thursday and what it is that led to so many young Dublin people going out onto the street in the first place when you know, a protest was suggested in relation to immigration, immigration, excuse me. I thought it would be great to talk to him. And I want to be clear ahead of this conversation. This is not about making excuses for the behavior of last Thursday night. And it's definitely not about suggesting that the behavior last Thursday night was okay. However, I really think if we want to move forward as a society, and if we want to try and prevent, you know, repeat incidences like last Thursday, we have to face up to why it is the far right are able to infiltrate our communities and why it is people are finding the far right appealing. Um, And I think that Adam did a really good job of exploring that in his article and in this conversation. So I hope you enjoy. I suppose to contextualize you before we get into the broader uh, conversation around what happened last week, a lot of people will have become familiar with you when a piece that you created went viral and uh, lots of people will know it. Um, When I describe it, it is a piece based in kind of famine times. It's an art piece, uh, but it kind of contextualizes modern day evictions um, and it went super viral I know Ono Breen of Sinn Féin retweeted it and then you ended up on the Tonight Show um, having what I would call a tricky conversation but maybe you wouldn't call it a tricky conversation um, and all of a sudden lots and lots and lots of people were familiar with your work um, is that a fair assessment of kind of when a lot of people would know you from? That's pretty bang on yeah I think uh, April was probably when it all kind of kicked off properly for me yeah what was that like, kind of, to all of a sudden be at the centre of that conversation? Um, it was a bit weird, for sure. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of felt pretty justified in the stance I was taking. Yeah. And, yeah, the way it was going. Um, so, yeah, I felt pretty, I guess, I guess like, the, the, the sort of fanfare that was there for a while and the attention that was a bit weird, but the overall... Uh, what would you call it? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I felt I felt like I was in the right. You know what I mean? So it was kind of easy in that sense. Well, I mean, look, it wouldn't have gone viral if people didn't connect to it. Do you know what I mean? So I thought it was kind of mad that people suggested that what you'd done was like wrong or shocking because, you know, the reason that people connected to that piece was that it felt accurate to the people's lives. I suppose. Yeah, I think it resonated with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I well, yeah, I think like housing itself is the one is the singular kind of issue at the heart of every other kind of issue in Irish society at the moment so I don't think like whatever strata of society you're in um you know stuff around housing uh generally resonates with you yeah um and I think most of the condemnation or whatever would have come from people who were sort of maybe more pro-establishment or like kind of offended about the inclusion of the guardian or Mm. fit their sort of worldview but suppose it was resonating in some way with them as well yeah yeah I mean I suppose any reaction is a is a result of stimulating art um so the reason that I asked you if you would come on the podcast this week is because uh, you wrote a brilliant piece I thought in the Irish Times over the weekend about what happened last Thursday night in Dublin and I suppose first of all you were you were in town on Thursday night am I right yep 
Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so I live in town, like in the in the city centre, like, mm. and uh, I saw that it was happening. Um, and yeah, I just wandered down to it and kind of just walked around, um, recording on my phone for a while. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was pretty mad. There was there was kind of two elements to it. I think mm. um, there was the sort of war zone on O'Connell Street. Mm. Where there was a there was like a, you know a hardcore sort of racist element to it, mm. um, and then as it kind of radiated out from there, it got a little bit more chaotic. There was people like every kind of people kind of at one stage walking into the JD Sports mm. on Mary Street, like um, and like you know mostly probably like fifteen to eighteen year olds or fourteen to eighteen year olds, but then also like it seemed like just random people who happened to be there were just joining in as well. So there was kind of a a weird chaotic excitement, I guess, to that side of it. And then this really intense sort of anger and like, you know, vitriol in the in the in the O'Connell Street area. Mm. Um, and the cops were fairly, uh, you could tell they were very stressed and sort of outnumbered and, and, mm. and stuff like that. It took them a while to kind of respond to anything. They seemed very uh, high strung. Mm. Um, saw a few people getting um, a few people getting uh, battered that kind of probably didn't do anything um mm. it was yeah no it was it was a pretty heavy situation um a lot of stuff on fire etc mm. like I think it's interesting because I think that's an important distinction to make that there was kind of two things happening at the same time because in the aftermath it seemed like a lot of people were very quick to kind of downplay any kind of political aspect of what happened and to kind of just jump on the idea of opportunistic people um you know, taking an opportunity to go mad in town and kind of pretending like it really wasn't that serious. Like, you know, the 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 far right, you know, yeah, sure, maybe there was an element of that to begin with, but it wasn't really that big of a deal. But it's, am I right in thinking from what you've said there that both were kind of happening in equal footing or was it more one than the other? There was, see, yeah, I don't know. There, There's an element within... The sort of Irish far right that I think was waiting for that mm. moment, like you know, when the, when your man stopped the 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 kids. I think yeah. that was the you know that was the go that they were waiting for, mm. and a few people, possibly like a good few people, took that as an opportunity to just you know be like proper following at them out racists. Mm. But then I think a lot of other people were just there, and I, I in my article I I kind of compared it to uh, the two thousand and six riots in Dublin where. The um, loyalists were supposed to march in down O'Connell Street, essentially, mm. and the people rioted as well. And it, like, like ostensibly, it was organised by Republican Sinn Fein, mm. but then again, it just turned into looting. You know, cars mm. being set on fire, um, guards being assaulted, and uh, that one wasn't maybe as intense because mm. I guess you know the guards kind of did the maths there, and you know beforehand and had barriers up and stuff yeah. like that because it's obviously not going to be a popular decision I don't know whose decision that was but um so yeah I guess my the crux of my point is that there is a an element in and it's 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 kind of like it's it's not that surprising I think a lot of people were very taken off guard by what it was saying but there's there's always groups in Irish society and there always has been groups in Irish society where they're just maligned and sort of you know it, it's considered like a like a, like this group has a moral failing or like you know some sort of inherent 
you know, uh, lack of decency that they can't be, you know, you just expect them to do that. And you, you get the you get you get the same thing with like if you go down the country, a lot mm-hmm. of people have the same sort of um you know way of thinking about the traveling community and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's it, yeah. it, it's it's not um and I I don't think that's a, a particularly um good analysis of it because there's been you know, even before this all kicked off, there's been a huge class divide mm. in Dublin and it's getting more and more charged. Um, yeah. And people from, and it's not just the inner city, it's communities all over. And this has been going on for years and years. Uh, like some of the first takes I saw on it were, you know, well, like, you know, any excuse or, uh, you know, uh, they're just like, like some of them are just, you know, scumbags down there or whatever, like this kind mm. of thing. It's like There has to be, in my opinion, more to it than that. And there is, there's, there's, there's decades of yeah. neglect. Um, you know, there's cuts to services. There's, you know, these are people on the sharp end of everything that's happened over, say, the last 10 years. Yeah, that's, um, that's why I wanted to talk to you because I saw that too and it felt very uncomfortable. And I know that there have been lots of people pointing out that there is a, a classism that came out almost immediately in the aftermath of this where there was a kind of, some people feel very comfortable, I think, to write off things like this because they're like, oh, well, that, what, what more could you expect, as you said, from people like this? You know, I saw people being referred to as animals. I saw, you know, as you say, scumbag is a word that's thrown around a lot. You, you use the, the term scrote in your article um, and you said which is a, a term that some people are using because I can't use the other one which I think is mm-hmm. a good way of putting it um, kind of dehumanising language and what we're talking about is people who look down on people who live in the inner city or are a certain type of working class job um, and it's kind of an accepted discrimination um, and you know when we have a situation like this it's not helpful at all not in the slightest. Um, no, it's the same. Like, you see it mirrored, I guess. Like, obviously, with this protest, there's a racist element, you know, mm. to a lot of it and a, a sort of xenophobic element. Yeah. But kind of scratching away at that a little bit, it's, it's you know, it's not hugely far off the use of, you know, chav in the UK mm. or, like, you know, referring to, to, to sort of young black men as, like, thugs in America or what. Like, this yeah. kind of... It's a way of writing off people and it's a way of kind of... Yeah, just avoiding um, treating them uh, like whatever the fuck is going on in the North Inner City and communities around Dublin right now is clearly very, very important to a lot of people. And I don't think they're being listened to. Mm. I think the only crowd that's listened to them now, listening to them, making them feel heard is this far right element. Yeah. And I'm not saying like this is everybody in all of these communities or anything like that, but it doesn't need to be everybody. It just needs to be a significant enough group of disenfranchised people mm. and then you know and you know writing them off as like scrout or whatever like that's the opposite of helpful because you're putting and a lot of the people there they're minors like if they were in any other uh community in ireland they'd be viewed and treated i feel a lot differently mm. um but because of where they are you kind of you know they're ignoring the fact that a lot of these people are like you know, there, there's probably not a huge, like, a huge amount of politics going on here for a lot of people. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's just anger, like the same as the 2016. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't think everybody there was a hardcore fucking dissident Republican. I think they were. There was an element mm. of that mm. that kind of brought it together, or maybe like sort of helped, like helped it coalesce. But then the rest of it just like that's just anger, like it's just rage. Yeah. And the reasons, like, yeah, like I don't know, it, it, it's a weird one, like because 
you could say like okay that was it that was a night of um that was a night of like absolute like mayhem and mm-hmm. like the guards restored order and brought the status quo back to that area and there's people shopping again but bringing the status quo back also means you know you can walk down the street the next day and the tents are all back or you know there's there's you know people you know, like using drugs or mm. and there's like there's clearly a lot of fucking issues with the community and it's yeah. not there are issues that wouldn't fly in any other fucking community do you know what i mean yeah yeah no i totally get what you mean because the thing is you have to in situations like this ask why why is it that the far right have been able to kind of dig into certain areas i've seen it happen like i don't live far from fingless i've seen you know for months there were like there was a group set up with a table at the side of the road recruiting people basically you know Ireland for the Irish and um, calling themselves patriots with a big tricolor as if you know they own the tricolor and um, you know anti-immigration and and you know I could see them recruiting I mean genuinely recruiting um, people all the time and you know you have to ask why. Why is this appealing to people? Because I don't think that we are, nobody's born racist or xenophobic. You know, that's a position usually that people come to. Yeah, sure, maybe some people are taught from a young age if they live in a family with those beliefs, but most people come to it because they they have a fear or they have an anger or a dissatisfaction somewhere else and they're looking for someone to blame. So surely in order for us to actually make any progress, you have to find out why are people afraid or why are they angry or why are they looking for someone to blame? And until we do that, we're never going to solve this. And I think the answers to that question are glaringly obvious to every policymaker and mm. whatever. Like, like they, they're the same issues. It's, um, you know, housing, social housing, waiting lists, like uh, a lack of facilities, a lack of, you say, like carers or something. Mm. And like you're, you're deprived of these services and stuff. And then uh, you see, you know, all of, you know, Johnny Farner has those services he's getting them for free from the government mm. now you know it doesn't quite work like that it's not as you know it's not the same thing no but that's but the message being from, sold yeah, yeah like it may as well be for mm. from where you're you're standing at that point you know what i mean and it's it, like there's it's hard to have a nuance like you know let's break it down like it's just it's anger and the the, the way to address it and this like in my opinion needs to be uh it needs to be listened to like the, the government can't take shouldn't take a stance where it's like this is like what did drew harris say like this is the lunatic hooligan yeah element. lunatic like, fringe just, yeah that's that yeah like that's a bit mad though do you know what i mean like it's like fair enough like having a big riot and burning a lot of guard cars that's not great and like and terrifying you know people of color and stuff is fucking appalling but at the same time this didn't come out of fucking thin air do you know yeah. what i mean it's been brewing away and bubbling away and there needs to be a concerted effort to sort of address it mm. um and the far right has been good at um, moving into the space that, say, Sinn Féin or other sort of Republican groups would have been in, uh, you know, maybe 10 or more years ago, probably a bit more, um, where they would have sort of been the the go-to in these sort of areas for mm-hmm. political representation. Now, Sinn Féin has moved into a far more sort of broad appeal with the middle class and stuff and, like, I think a lot of these people feel left behind by the policy, like because mm. there's a huge trend if you follow any of the sort of um like news sort of right wing news things on like you know Telegram or anything like mm. that. You can see them making a concerted effort to 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 go after Sinn Fein as well mm. because they're fighting for the same community essentially, mm. and um 
they use messaging like you know they encourage this kind of like they call it like you know this sort of young fella thing like they 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 they, they sort of encourage that and say like these people are great they're like you know they're acting patriotically mm. and then they have the the sort of moms with proms thing that they use in their messaging quite a bit as well mm. and they kind of make it seem um you know this is a a working class like grassroots movement mm. um whereas from my perspective it's more of like a sort of an infiltration by the by the Irish right into a very disenfranchised community I mean it's not dissimilar to Donald Trump's like political kind of campaign of convincing people that he was on their side people who were disenfranchised people who were annoyed people who were frustrated you know convincing them that he was the one to represent their you know their needs and their wants you know when in reality it's entirely self-serving and he had his own agenda and all the rest it's kind of the same thing really isn't it well and another good comparison to that as well is during the, the sort of 2016 US election Hillary came out with that basket of deplorables thing where yeah. she called like Trump supporters and that's like similar in tone to the messaging the Irish government is putting out now and I think that's a great way to just completely polarise people against you like um, yeah. you know to, to sort of villainise them because you know once that once she said that basket of deplorable things they kind of started wearing that as a badge of honour using it as a joke like you know mm. what I mean and she completely cut herself off from ever reaching any of those people with her message you know what I mean yeah and that's you know that's not smart you know what I mean because then you're just leave and it's more high stakes here mm. right now in Dublin I feel because you're leaving people in some of the most vulnerable communities in Dublin mm. um uh, you're you're turning away from them and completely leaving them in the arms of you know the racist right that's kind of emerging and that's you know uh that's a dangerous uh idea and like this has been escalating as well like if you've been looking at this mm. you know last year they had the, they were you know protests all over the country and all over dublin mm. not just in the north like it was but they were doing like you know they were blocking roads blocking the port tunnel mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff and that was pretty um pretty organized and pretty uh you know uh, like a lot of those protests like go off by a few of them like and they were pretty intimidating like there was a yeah. good few hundred people there there was a good mix of people from like different you know there were parts of the you know the community like um mm. uh and you know they 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 seemed quite you know intimidating yeah and that's scaled up now to the point of actual violence and the biggest piece of social disorder like this century in ireland yeah and you know where the fuck where's it gonna go now like <laughs> is it gonna go worse you know what I mean and I like and I could totally see it get worse you know yeah. what I mean like I totally see people you know someone getting killed now or you know yeah. if this happens again um I could see it being way more severe do you know what I mean it's, it's yeah um, like I think it's yeah. it's it could be a turning point I think if anyone actually took it seriously people in power and really looked at how we can actually make a difference here and did things like actually dealt with the housing crisis looked at mental health funding which is net like pitiful um you know looked at the things that would actually make a difference in terms of making people happier and therefore less likely to turn to someone who's willing to point the finger at someone else as being the root cause of their problems um but if we don't do that i think that we are very much at you know potentially in a dangerous place i saw this tweet yesterday i don't know if you saw it or maybe it wasn't yesterday i'm losing track of all the days but earlier this week um obviously conor mcgregor has been kind of not a center point, but like one of the people uh, in the midst of this conversation. And um, he tweeted earlier this week because lots of people were saying that he should uh, run for office. 
Um, and he said, I do not condone last night's riot. I do not condone any attacks on our first responders. I do not condone. I do not condone blah, 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 blah. I do understand frustrations. It's like this really lengthy tweet. But then David Quinn, who lots of people will know is the very conservative religious columnist, wrote, what would happen if McGregor set up a political party? He could possibly take support from Sinn Féin. He would also attract a big youth vote. He wouldn't need to be respectable. In fact, he would make attacking respectable politicians his entire thing like a Trump. He's right. I don't often say David Quinn is right, but like he's right. And that is scary. There's a huge um, space in Ireland right now for populism um, mm. to, to, to sort of emerge. Um, there's a huge amount of disenfranchisement. I don't know if it'll be McGregor, but like it doesn't necessarily have to be. No. Um, you know, there, there's a huge. Uh, yeah, like the, the, the frustration is being felt far beyond there like that wasn't just an isolated incident there no. there's been protests as well all across the country as well in relation to um migration and mm. migra- my uh like centers and stuff where, where people are housing uh migrants and like that this is happening like ross lair mm. animo bally mm. shannon or what like there's like all around the country and mm. it's like it obviously came to a very violent head in dublin but like um this is something that could i feel run away from the establishment very quick if mm. they don't Cop on. Take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. If they don't take it seriously. And like and part of that might be, you know, you have to kind of listen to people. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you don't have to agree with them. Yeah. You know, you you, you can't like sit down and like and, and start, you know, making concessions that are like racist or whatever. No, but you of course can definitely not. you meet someone sort of somewhere along the line and, and, and sort of start listening to the concerns and taking a bit of steam out of the, the racism thing or, or or the you know that that crowd, that political um group. Yeah. Um, you know, start pulling people like back from it, and yeah. I don't think like the the point of my article was I don't think um doing this old school classes and also policing like you know we're, we're, like you can throw as many guards at this problem and it, as you want and it won't go away. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? You can you know and you can say this isn't us, this isn't Ireland, this isn't my Ireland till the cows come home. Yeah, uh, it's not going to change the situation on the ground. You know what I mean? Yeah, like saying this this isn't me or this isn't us. It's sort of like, you know, someone in your family is trying to burn the house down and you're yeah. saying, oh, look, it's nothing to do with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you need to step in and do something about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need to talk them down or you need to, you know, sort the problem out. Mm. Um, and I don't, like, I think, yeah, no, saying saying that this isn't us is as good as saying, like, oh, I didn't do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not helpful. I don't think there needs to be, like, a proactive approach to this. No, I totally agree. Because at the end of the day, this is us. And, like, yeah. if you say this isn't us, then you're pretending, like, this is a section of society that doesn't exist, which only feeds into the feeling that they have of being completely rejected and, you know, disrespected. And, you know, we're never going to get anywhere. Look, man, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you um, taking the time to talk to me. I think this has been a really useful conversation. I hope people have gotten something out of it. Where can people find your work? Um, I only really use Instagram. So it's Instagram at spicebag.exe. Okay, love it. Thank you so much. Thanks. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let me tell you, it is always a pleasure to speak to James O'Hagan of LGBT Ireland and presenter of Curiosity on City FM, co-presenter, excuse me, of Curiosity on City FM. But it was extra fun this week um, after the heaviness of everything that's going on to just talk about some nonsense, really, for the most part. There's a couple of more serious bits in there, but there's a lot of nonsense too. Like, for example, people giving out about Dolly Parton's outfit in the Thanksgiving halftime show or Taika Waititi saying he did the Marvel movies for money. I hope you enjoy. James O'Hagan, thank you for coming to my humble abode. Thank you for tolerating. I've ranted at you now for a good 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's delightful. And I just, I've been enjoying a, a, a festive array of gorgeous decorations here in the Christmas tree behind thank me. You. So it's more than made up for it. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time, I was a not till December decorating gal, but because I go to other voices every year and that's the first weekend yeah. in December, if I don't put them up before then I miss kind of two weeks nearly of festivity mm. and that's not enough. No, that is, that's not appropriate. You it's not two it. weeks, it's a week, but like it's, No, but you, you know. need that, you need that like kind of moment of putting, you need to give it that special moment, yeah. especially if you're doing it after the voices will be in a rush and you're kind exactly. of in December. You and want to kids. sit in there every, every morning to just like wake you up. A hundred percent. Or just like moment of festivityness. Exactly. And the children, frankly, could not wait an, another yeah. day. <laughs> they have absolutely no patience. Anywho, we have celeb stuff to talk about um, and some really interesting stuff this week, I think, actually. And we're going to start with the woman who I call my lifelong hero, Dolly Parton. Yeah, so I am confident that you will have a lot to say about this. But <laughs> as a quick overview for anyone who yes. may not have, have seen, there was some kind of a halftime show for the thank, the big Thanksgiving game between the, the Cowboys and the Commanders, and Dolly Parton was there kicking it off. Uh, and I think it was part of the, the Salvation, Army, uh, Salvation Army Red Kettle campaign. They do this sort of big kind of kickoff season at the Thanksgiving game, which is essentially their kind of Christmas giving thing. And she appeared in a little video wearing a cute little conductor outfit, ringing her bell, and then came along to perform 
a kind of medley of her hits. She did Jolene, 9 to 5, We Are the Champions, and We Will Rock You, a couple of covers in there as well. Uh, and the entire crowd were absolutely living for it, as well of course as they were. most of the internet. But cue the joyless, judgmental conservatives to <laughs> stick their oar in with a stream of prudish, misogynistic, ageist comments uh, oh. about the appropriateness of the outfit she had chosen to wear. So she had chosen to wear a kind of a... a a version of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader outfit. So like cute little short shorts and a top and then a kind of a glittery uh, nude bodysuit underneath it. And everyone kind of was really enjoying it except for the conservatives. One man t- uh, tweeted, "Are the most viral tweet you're probably most familiar with is, are you okay with 77-year-old Dolly Parton dressing like a 20-year-old Dallas, che- Dallas Cowboy cheer- cheerleader? Me? Yeah, absolutely. Totally okay. And Whoopi Goldberg on The View more or less summed it up when she said, everybody that participated in this, the shaming of Dolly Parton, should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. And I think it just speaks to the fact that there is a particular male gaze that exists that says that only young women of a particular body type are allowed to be visible and especially only allowed to be visible wearing sexy clothing. The minute you are no longer sort of sexually desirable to like generic conservo man, then (laughs) you need to just sort of throw on a a, a sort of a, some kind of a a blanket or a hoodie, a caftan and then just like stay out of sight. And it's gross. It is. I really enjoyed Dolly Parton, or sorry, Whoopi Goldberg saying 77 year old superstar Dolly Parton stole the show on Thanksgiving as the Cowboys come at the Cowboys Commander game dressed as a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader but some critics told her to back to her age bite me <laughs> <laughs> absolutely bite me Whoopi bite me yes Whoopi. I, no it completely like and it is it is good that people came back so forcefully against this because yeah. there is a sort of a conservative ecosystem that exists online that kind of like bigs each other up and kind of makes like is completely okay with policing what everyone wears and policing how everyone behaves and policing. Yeah. and then like the moment someone suggests that maybe they stop being such a dick they're like hey stop victim blaming me free speech I can do what I want yeah but the thing about this is like Dolly Parton's entire body was covered except for a low a low neck on her outfit um like it's not even like she actually had skin on show like yeah because you know she in recent years has really she loves hosiery uh, yeah. she's always wearing a tight um you know even if she's wearing a mini skirt she always has a nice thick yeah uh, american tan tight on <laughs> which i respect uh, this is a woman who knows what she's doing um and you know still still it's a problem like nothing you know she's got nothing more on display here than she would in any other outfit but you're right it's just like you know, you have to follow the rules that these boars have decreed and that's it. A hundred percent. And like, you're talking about someone who like, aside from being kind of one of the biggest superstars on the planet and having a recording career spanning back 60 years and have just like released their most like sort of commercially successful album, is also like a philanthropist that is like beyond compare, has done so much good in the world. And it's like, that you were going to reduce this individual to just like what she is or isn't. You're going to like have the audacity to sort of step in and start telling this individual who has made such a positive impact in the world what she can or can't wear. I mean, honestly, step back. Truly. And the thing is, even if she wasn't that incredible person, yes. she still wouldn't deserve it. But like, you know, for you, boring man in Ohio, <laughs> to even think that you get the right to have any opinion about this spectacular woman who has given more to the world than almost anyone is beyond me. No, completely. And and I mean, I do think it is important to say as well, like 
Dolly Parton's body could exist in any form and she would deserve to be able to go out yeah. wearing a Dallas Cowboys cheerleading outfit and, you know, walk around and sing her songs and be nothing but celebrated. 100%. Um, and it is just like a grossness that I'm glad to see gets called out more and more and more and that mm. most of the story is about the outrage rather than where I believe it would have been if we were maybe 10 years ago, 15 yeah. years ago, where it is like, well, is it appropriate? Should your grandma be dressing like this? Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely there's been progress. I think it's it's great. Okay, let's move on. I thought this was really interesting um, and I was not familiar with this. So The Cut, um, which is part of New York Magazine, have a, an article and the headline is why so many powerful men were just sued for sexual assault. Um, and it turns out that the reason that there has been a spate of people being sued for mm-hmm. sexual assault is because of a very particular yes. uh, New York law. Yeah, so I, 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 I'm going to attribute this in part, I think, to, to the movement around Me Too and to sort of like the kind of revisiting of historical uh, sexual abuse cases over the last number of years. But last year, New York opened up or sort of paused the statutes of limitations uh, around um, charges against individuals and institutions that enabled them to, to commit sexual assault. And they had, individuals had a year between the 24th of November 2022 and the 24th of November 2023 in order to sort of bring cases against individuals who had sexually assaulted them or abused them in some way or institutions that had enabled them to do that mm. and so this is the same legislation that people would be people this is the same legislation that 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 uh, was used by Jeannie Carroll when she had brought her case against Donald Trump and I suppose it is you know a really significant move to allow people whose abuse happened at a time when abusers were protected more yeah. than victims were to have a moment to be able to revisit t- things that w- that happened to them and be able to bring that. So we have seen um, Sean Diddy Combs uh, ha- who recently settled a case against his ex or, or settled a case against him from his ex-partner and has been sued by two further women. Uh, photographer and, and walking creep Terry Richardson yeah. has had who's been long accused, accused yes. of, of misconduct ha- has been sued again as well as Cuba Gooding Jr. the mayor of New York Eric Adams and the governor of New York uh, Andrew Cuomo and there's a deep dive, as I said, in the cut into kind of like exactly what these particular cases are. But I think one thing that I find in- interesting within all this is that it's not only individuals who've been sued, but it's the institutions that have enabled them, which I think is really important because yeah. a lot of people have been very protected, whether it's by modeling agencies or studios, prisons, the policing system. And it's allowed individuals have that year in order to be able to revisit these crimes that were committed against them in an environment that is more likely to take their side of the story. And, you know, I think that it's close now but obviously there's an argument to be made for it being remaining open because mm. people may not have known about it people mm-hmm. may still have been too traumatized by the the the, the abuse that they suffered or by the, the things that were done to them to be able to come forward so i i would hope to see this and also this time. was specific to new york yes so like can you imagine if california did oh this? like this is the thing as well like obviously this is a this is a singular piece of kind of legislation or law within new york so if you were to expand that across the rest of the u.s or the world in general like I cannot imagine the amount of people because we need like it's the the change in context as to how we perceive sexual abuse has been like brilliant Mm -hmm. and so important but also means that now there are people who would be able to get justice who would have just been demonized or criminalized or you know who would have been made feel sort of that like as if they weren't right to come forward at a time of day so I think it's it's brilliant to see this and hopefully more will happen in other spaces I mean even just from the perspective of like the way that things have changed and and what we've learned and what we've come to know about sexual assault means that there are some people 
who genuinely might not have realized that they were sexually assaulted and only real, be realizing decades later that that was sexual assault, that thing that felt wrong. Yes. That that was wrong. And, no, you know, those people deserve the opportunity to, 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 you know, get some sort of justice. Particularly where there were complex power imbalances and mm-hmm. people may not have perceived it or understood. And then it also can impact you in a long way. Like yeah. the impact of something like that can like have a very long tail on it. Yeah. So it can bring you to a point now where you realize my life went in a different direction, a less positive direction or less hopeful direction because of something that happened all those years ago. Yeah. And you deserve to be able to get justice for that. Did you, did you read the allegations that Cassie was making I I, re- I watched the TikTok talking about them. I didn't look into it too much. Um, it was. I I wouldn't be surprised. And a lot of these names that you, you see kind of coming up now, like you you wouldn't be surprised at these people who took the pe- the the power that they had mm. and wielded it in mm. a way that is reprehensible. Yeah, like I mean, I don't know if you are in any way interested. This is the kind of thing that I am interested in, um, and you're not familiar with the relationship between uh, Diddy or whatever the fuck he wants to be called <laughs> these days and uh, Aubrey O'Day. I would highly recommend it. Aubrey O'Day was a member of Danity Kane, which was a, a band that was created on a TV series on MTV, created by Diddy, and then managed by Diddy. Um, and she was bolshy and stood up for herself and that did not go down well. But mm-hmm. if you go back, if you listen to some of the interviews she's given and you go back and look at the, the kind of history and a lot of it happened on TV, yeah. you know, you really can see the kind of guy that he is. Yeah, no, I mean, now I, I could be completely wrong about this, but wasn't there, wasn't there the strangeness around him bringing a very very young Justin Bieber to his Mm -hmm. you know so I think that he is someone who certainly there have been question marks around for a long time he's not a good guy he's not a good guy we can say that I think I don't think we'll get sued for defamation for saying that um Okay, now, I thought this was interesting as well uh, because there was an Irish winner of the Booker Prize this week, which is always very exciting. It is a very significant prize to win. It has a huge uh, monetary value, but also massive kind of publishing cachet. Um, And Paul Lynch won, um, and his book actually kind of matches the tone of what's been going on in Ireland over the last week. Yeah, so he he won for his novel Prophet Song, which is about a mother of four who needs to protect her family in this kind of like dystopian, totalitarian uh, Ireland. Um, and the timing of the win, because I suppose the decision was made uh, the weekend following the, the riots in Dublin and, you know, there was raised eyebrows about the kind of like, oh, wow, this is very kind of on the nose. Mm. Um, but I suppose like he has said about it that like this right wing, total- this right wing kind of energy is something that's always present within our society and it's about how we manage it going forward which I think is kind of really quite sensible you know the the impulses are always there Mm. but the judges came out and said that the riots uh, in Dublin were discussed during deliberations but they were not a central factor uh, and that the prize is for the most accomplished work of literature and artistic success uh, was their guiding principle I think what's really interesting around reading about Paul Lynch is that he has had like a litany of hardships over the last number of years. So he had had a kidney tumour diagnosis, long COVID, and he separated from his wife during the period from 2018 to 2022 while he was writing Prophet Song. So this is an individual who 
was really going through the mill as they were creating this piece of mm. art. And I'd imagine that sort of that kind of hardship really goes into what you are what you are creating. And I think in the in the most like Ireland 2023 kind of um move imaginable, he mm. said that he plans to use the prize money to contribute to his mortgage. Mm. The housing crisis, even hitting oh, the Booker Prize winners. Everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like. I'm delighted for him, but how embarrassing that like <laughs> the Booker Prize judges were discussing the Dublin riots. Like it's no, it really, it really does kind of like it. It is embarrassing, like hearing that talked about on kind of like shows all over the world, and you know, hearing kind of like it's 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 great. I was listening to um, Rachel Maddow's show the podcast of her show during the week and she was talking about it and she came from a very positive place because she was very much focusing on the people who helped and the people who mm. sort of you know had had done something positive within that but it is kind of like for us people who have particularly been kind of maybe lulled into a false sense of believing that our city's not like that our country's not like that we don't have those mad people it really was a wake-up call yeah <laughs> Oh, I wish I was, I was not, that was not my situation. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was not surprised. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah. I like, oh, this is not the segment for that, Louise. <laughs> put that Listen, to one I side. Will, I will talk all day about the, the disappointment I feel in those people and Aww. how they don't get to, to own Irishness. But no, it's so heartbreaking. Um. Anyway, in terms of the Booker Prize, there was an interesting conversation around the judging as well, because I didn't know that there were like celebrity judges on the Booker Prize panel. Yeah. And so people are saying that there shouldn't be because they have to read the the long or the, the number of books that they have to read is 163 books and they have seven months to do it. So that's like almost a book every two days. That is too much. It's, it's, and, and so Robert Webb of Peep Show publicly said it's basically impossible to read them all. And so the publishing world was up in arms because they were like, well, that's not fair if all the books (laughs) aren't getting read. But like, you know, I I read an article on lithub.com where someone was saying, you know, his mistake is saying it, but like, obviously you can't read all of them. Just like the Oscar judges or the Academy don't watch all the movies. Like it's not possible. Um, but that's the reality of, of from now on the Booker Prize is going to go to the best uh, chat GPT synopsis of novel <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, anyway look absolutely delighted for um, our Irish winner it is great to see him win and I am so glad that he's going to pay off a chunk of his mortgage yeah and what also the, the book sounds interesting uh, yeah. if I didn't exclusively read celebrity memoirs I absolutely <laughs> would pick it up <laughs> James, <laughs> you've, you've just got standards, and I respect them. Exactly. I respect them. Um, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Good lord. Um, we have our next story is about Taika Waititi, who I have found this so hilarious. So Taika Waititi, I feel like, has been on a bit of a journey. Um, yes. He was like indie cool guy who you know film people just loved, and he made really good indie films. Yes. Then he went mainstream, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment. And now he's married to Rita Ora. And I feel like the indie people who loved him are very annoyed about it. Now, before to segue slightly, Rita Ora, was he involved in any way in that bizarro Rita Ora Shrek? He was Shrek. 
Uh, no. Yes. Oh, please. Yes. Oh, she is someone who, like, I, I want to try my best to, to not dislike her. Like, I think she's probably quite, like, I think she's probably a fine person, but everything she does annoys me. So, <laughs> I have thoughts. Um, number one, if you don't know what we're talking about with Shrek, Rita Ora did some spawn for uh, Airbnb, of all people, where she was basically Princess Fiona welcoming you into this Shrek home. Um, and Taika Waititi was in Shrek, but he wore a mask throughout, which is obviously why James, I thought the New Zealand accent gave it away from me. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I used to be like, how is Rita Ora doing it? Like, how does she get these opportunities? She is everywhere. Like, it's wild. Then I started listening to Who Weekly. And now I feel completely differently about her. Are you familiar with Who Weekly? I don't listen. I have listened to a couple of episodes when it has like a particular kind yeah. of person I'm interested in. I feel it. like you would love it if you got okay. into it. I Because my friend, well, Emer McLeisa, friend of the show friend and friend of mine, um, was like the first person I knew who was mad into it. And okay. she was always telling me about it. And I was like, yeah, 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 shut up. And like, I tried to listen to it a few times and I was like, I don't think it's for me. And then I was, it, she wouldn't stop. And then eventually I was like, okay, I'll give it a proper go. <laughs> and now it is one of my favorite podcasts. I listen okay. to it every single week. Um, and the premise, because it comes up on this podcast all the time, but the premise for people who don't know is it's um, it's like telling you everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't is the tagline. So basically they don't talk about the most famous people. They only talk about the people who are kind of who are on the D-list. like D list. Okay, yeah. I love it. Um, and they, but they also explore kind of celebrity and how people move up the ladder and how the media covers celebrity. Like it's very smart. It's presented by two journalists, Bobby and Lindsay. I, I mean, the podcast is kind of their full time gig now. But um, they they categorize people into who's and them's. Yes. So them's are the super famous people. Um, so like, you know, your Brad Pitts, your whoever, um, and whose are people who not everyone would know their name. Yes. Um, and there, there's a spectrum of whodom and themdom and you can translate, you can move up, you can move down, you can move any direction. Um, but Rita Ora on the podcast is queen of the who's. So every single week they do a Rita Ora section where they talk about what she's been up to. <laughs> and sometimes it's just like putting on a leggy display outside. Oh, you know. we love a leggy display. We love a leggy display. <laughs> like there's a theme song, which I won't sing to you for the section that I know word for word. <laughs> and so because of that, I have grown very fond of her. And because I've been paying attention to like what she does, that girl is busy. Yeah, she gives me like Nicole Scherzinger energy. No, no, she's so much better than that. Okay, okay, I, I, okay. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Rita Ora another chance. Yeah, like she's good fun. You know, she doesn't take herself too seriously. She She'll take any gig going, and I respect that. We like a girl who works hard for the money. Yeah, and she doesn't have any notions about herself. Like Nicole Scherzinger yeah. has notions about herself. She definitely does. You are right. Like it, it, the the big difference between them is that Rita Ora seems to be absolutely able to take the piss out of herself. hundred percent. She would never have grabbed the out of Jermaine's hand when she no. was performing <laughs> <in> <laughs> X Factor absolutely not <laughs> but I mean to get back to Taika yes. Waititi who hates <laughs> directing Thor uh, in in a move I think that would surprise absolutely nobody he said he just did it for the money he, like and like he had had what was he said um, he said that he, he considers Thor or, or, or would have perceived Thor as the least popular franchise that he had no interest in doing one of those films and that it wasn't on the plan for his career as an author but he was poor and had just had a second time child and thought you know what this would be a great opportunity to feed these children yeah <laughs> but I'm just like like what what uh 
Like, what's the issue? Like, I feel like people get up in arms all the time when people, when famous people say that they did a gig for the money. Yeah. Like, that's the business. Like, you know, people are not working for free. And sure, some people have the luxury of only making, of only creating art, or some people choose yes. to only create art. But at the end of the day, the reason that studios make films is to make money. Absolutely. So why can't the people making them also have that and frame, like, mind we frame? Should, we should all be guided by, I, I can't remember, was it, oh God, I can never remember his name, Evan, everyone knows him. Play, Evan Roscotts. That's the one. Yeah. Shared the, like, the 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 Mount Rushmore of, of, of headlines earlier in the week. And one of them was by someone who I can never remember their name that I love my job I just don't want to do it very often yeah. that is the guiding principle of celebrities of course like they you know like they love what they do but everyone's choice I mean most people's choice I'm assuming would just be to like live in sort of a, a constant state of nothingness being able to just like enjoy beautiful expensive things exactly. without ever, anyhow, we ever all, having to worry at the end of the day we all want to be independently wealthy absolutely does that mean that we don't enjoy our work no. no, it just means we just don't only want to do it when we want to do it. Exactly. I said to actually Sam yesterday when I was driving home from school, I was like, oh, Sam, I was like, I don't want to work anymore. And he got really, really like, he was like, what? Why? Yeah. He was like, why? He was like, you have to do your work because otherwise we wouldn't get the packages. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I was like, <laughs> The packages oh, would try This child, like... Thanks. Like it is because I really try and like make it very clear to him that like because we get a lot of deliveries yeah. and it is insane. Like I, I think it's insane. And I really need to drive it home to him. I'm like, this is because of the work that I do. Not, this is not everyone's situation. Yeah. This is not normal. Like, you know, and because I want him to know. That, that this is that, that it's not normal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like not to assume that everyone just gets packages and that it is usually connected to my work or whatever. So that was obviously his his panic. But also I'm always like, you know, I have because he would obviously like it if I just didn't work. Yes. And I had more yeah. time for him. So I'm also like, I have to work because I have to pay for our house and I have to pay for blah, blah, blah. And also I really like it and it's very fulfilling because I'm trying to teach him. That you don't just work for money. You try and pick a fulfilling career. Oh my god, I'm tying myself up in all the lessons I'm trying to teach him. But it was it was quite funny to see his reaction. And then I was like, no, no, I was only messing. And at the end of the day, really, we all just want to go to bed. So exactly. Oh my god, James. <laughs> I said that. That's what I said to him. I was like, I just want to lie down. I mean, honestly, I just want to lie that, down. Is there anything more peaceful nothing. in this world? Nothing. Literally nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. Like I'm going to other voices tomorrow. Um, for a few days and. I have found myself thinking almost more than any other aspect of the fact that I will be alone in a bed. Oh. I, in the morning time, I'll be able to just lie there. Like It, it is a beautiful experience. It's... Like it, it just, to have one of those mornings as well where you can just like wake up in your own time and not have to go anywhere or not have anyone kind of putting pressure on you, you know, oh, to go to another mouthwash where I just stunning. don't want to hear anyone breathing. Exactly. <laughs> let's, I, let's just, before we move on, and we've only got one more quick story, let's just acknowledge what Evan Ross Katz uh, is called the Mount Rushmore of headlines. So it all happened because Linda Evangelista this week, <laughs> the headline is, Linda Evangelista admits she is not interested in dating and then colon and quote, I don't want to hear somebody breathing. <laughs> Stunning. So then he pulled together some other some of the other best headlines and uh, faves of mine, things that I have saved. This one in particular is like a life motto. Kim Cattrall, I don't want to be in a situation for even an hour when I'm not enjoying myself. These are these are the new Ten Commandments. We're Whoopi writing. Goldberg on marriage. I don't want somebody in my house. <laughs> <laughs> 
Gabby Hoffman. I really love my job, but I don't want to do it that often. <laughs> yes, yes. And no coincidence that they're all women, just Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Women know. <laughs> women know how to live. Um, okay, and then finally, I just wanted to mention this because I think it is so lovely um, that the ad that was filmed for 700 euro on an iPhone by a pub in Enniskillen has gone viral. Over 6 million views. So it's incredible. Charlie's Bar in Elliskin, er, in Elliskillen, County Fermanagh decided, like, I, I, don't, I didn't really get into, like, why they felt they needed an ad or what they, I guess it's like you're looking for those sort of viral moments to bring people. But they created a really beautiful ad about, I suppose, the, the power of community. Mm. It, was an, it shows the, the story of an older man who is obviously quite lonely and sort of you know sort of he goes to a bar where he strikes up a conversation with a younger couple all because of a gorgeous little dog uh, the manager of the bar una burn said we're just a small local pub we wanted to provide a christmas advert that hopefully resonated with people and for us it became apparent over the years that christmas can be a really lonely tough time for some people and like never a truer word spoken mm. it can be such a challenging time and the ad is beautiful it will break your heart you will be yeah. in tears <laughs> I heard Una was on um, Liveline during the week and I heard her saying like it was really kind of this is a reality that they see all the time and she said like she has really seen this problem growing and like they wanted to do something that reflected that and I think it's interesting they're open on Christmas morning she said we see that more than others as on Christmas morning when we're open there are some people coming in with maybe nowhere else to be who need people to speak to. There are so many people who find themselves like isolated and lonely for like such a variety of reasons. Mm. And like, it's important that we start talking about, I don't know if you were familiar with, there was a EU research that came out recently that said that found that Ireland is the loneliest country within the European Union. And, wow. you know, it is an issue that is becoming more and more prevalent within my actual day job. I'm part of the alone loneliness task force to try and figure out a way that we can, we can challenge that we can kind of challenge this, but it's also like something that happens across the life cycle. It's like impacted by, identity language barriers culture Mm. all of these things create sort of reasons why individuals end up just being pushed outside forgotten about and particularly for the older community because you do just when you reach a certain point you get put on the shelf yeah well james i have so enjoyed this we've gone way over and i have occupied (laughs) so much of your time um but yeah let's 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 do this again sometime oh gorgeous (laughs) I'll be back. <laughs> Tell people about your radio show, which they can also listen to as a podcast and where people can find you. Yes. So um, you can find me on Dublin City FM at 12 o'clock every Saturday with the gorgeous Padraig Wilson McCarthy for Curiosity, kind of a queer roundup of the week with some interesting interviews of people doing exciting things within the community. That's available as a podcast immediately after that. Uh, and you can go find that on, on Instagram at Curiosity Radio. Um, and you can come and have a look at the beautiful pictures of my Christmas tree and my boyfriend, James <laughs> O underscore Hagen. Please come and join me. People it validates me no end. Yeah, that's, that's what the people want. Thank you so much, James. Thank you. just about time for me to go my friends but before I do can I recommend something that brought me a lot of joy this week now you may know that my lifelong well I I just mentioned it in the celeb chat my lifelong hero is Dolly Parton initially I was attracted to her via her just undeniable glamour I mean truly I remember just being mesmerized by how fancy she was from 
I mean, I think my earliest memory of her is when I was four or five. And now as an adult, I love her for her ethics, her morals, her conviction, her generosity, her commitment to trying to make the world a better place and her sense of humor. Um, She is a queen. I, I feel like there's no one who could deny that she's a queen except for those absolute cranks on Twitter giving out a better outfit. Um, so can I recommend to you her new book? She has several books. Um, I think I own all of them. Um, but her new book is Dolly Parton Behind the Scenes, My Life in Rhinestones. And it's about her clothes. And it is so good. You get to, like, there's so many pictures of all her outfits through the decades. You get to see her style. She writes about her style and the different people who influenced her. It's just so much fun and it's a beautiful book and it's a lovely book to kind of just pick up and put down I can't recommend it enough Dolly Parton behind the scenes totally original recommendation I'm sure (laughs) I'm sure you've seen it she's been everywhere promoting it but honestly I think it's such a beautiful thing it would be a lovely gift for Christmas for someone who you think might appreciate a bit of style well, that's it, my friends. I am going to go. Um, if you are around other voices this weekend, come and say hi. I'm looking forward to it. Unless I look messy, in which case, don't come and say hi. No, I'm only joking. You can always come and say hi, but just delete the memory if I know. I'm not going to be messy. I won't be messy. It's fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> it's just there's so many cozy pints, you know? Um, anyway, I'm so, 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 so looking forward to it. Um, and I will be back as always next week. Thank you so much to ACAST for having me on the network. Thank you to my wonderful contributors and my friends. I really hope that you have a good week. But as we all know too well, not every week can be a good one. So if it's not good, put one foot in front of the other and we'll talk again next Friday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.